today's daf is Pei Aleph in Masechet Eruvin. We are uh, eight lines from where the Gemara started on Pei Amud Bet. So we're going to try to get across to the to Pei Aleph Amud Bet today. So it says, If there are additional people that join the Mavoy, they join the neighborhood, so you add for them, and or, I mean, you don't have to do both of these things. You either add for food, you take food from them to add with their permission, or you add them in the Eruv by Mizakelehen, meaning you declare that the food that you're setting aside for the Eruv or for the Shitufei Mavot belongs to them as well. Okay? This seems to indicate that the, um, the rabbis, the other rabbis disagreed with Rabbi Yehuda. Meaning, uh, as we're going to see in the upcoming Mishnah, when do you need a person's permission to include them in an Eruv only with Eruv Etchumin? Why? Because Eruv Etchumin actually imposes on you because it decides that your Tchum is in a certain direction and I don't have the right to do that for you without your permission. But when it comes to Eruv Etchumin, when it comes to allowing, carrying in the Chatser by including somebody in the Eruvei Chatserot, you don't have to, uh, uh, you don't have to get the guy's permission because uh, you don't lose anything. What, what does the person lose? I, I include them. Now, right now, they're assuming that the Mishnah is saying that even if I'm doing it on your behalf without taking food from you, I still need to have your permission. But the problem is, why would I need to have your permission? Rabbi Yehuda is saying, why do I need to have your permission? I'm just helping you. What, 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 what does it hurt? So it says, you see from this that Chalukin, Alav Chavirav Rabbi Yehuda, that the rabbis, the other rabbis disagreed with Rabbi Yehuda because it says, Vitzarich Laodiyah, that you have to tell them that you're making for them a, uh, uh, an Eruv. So it says, uh, so, so Gemara says, Pshit, that's obvious the Chalukin. It's obvious that they're arguing because up in the, in the Mishnah that's, that's ahead on the next daf, it's going to say that Rabbi Yehuda, and uh, that, that Rabbi Yehuda and the Chachamim have an argument about that. So obviously they disagree. So the Gemara says, no, but we still need it to clarify because because you might have thought that when does Rabbi Yehuda and the Chachamim argue? When it's Chatser Sheben Shnei Mavo'ot, meaning when there are two possible Mavo'ot that you could be joining and you decided that you're making the Shutuvei Mavo'ot for Mavo'i on the... On the West side of the uh, of the chater, and you included him in it. Well, why, why are you including me in that one? Maybe I want to be in the east side. Maybe I don't want to be in yours. I want to be in the other one. How do you know which to include me? Maybe that's where there's a machloket. Rabbi Yehuda says that what does the guy lose being included in Shutafei Mavot so you can include him? And the, uh, and the Chachamim say, no, since there's two choices, you can't make the choice for him of which one to join. And Rabbi Yehuda says it doesn't matter. But in a case where there's only one Mavoy or only one Chatzer, what, what does the guy lose that, he's, that you gave him food? You're, you're Mizakelo. You're, you're saying my food is belonging to you and I'm making you part of the Erovei Chatzer. What does he have to lose? So there you might say the Chachamim would agree to Rabbi so the Chidush is that no, in all cases, according to the Chachamim, you need the permission and the agreement of the, uh, of the people. You need their awareness. And Rabbi Yudas says, no, you can do it on their behalf because they have nothing to lose. Right? What's the measurement of this? So it says, it says if they're Mubin, right? So then you need the food for, of two Seudot. That'll cover for everybody. So the question is, what is it considered a lot of people? It means that it's 18 people. So you're telling me that a lot means only 18? Exactly 18? What about 100? Is it, you know, why are you saying only 18? It says, meaning 18 and up is considered a lot. Why do you say 18? My father 
told me, so this was Rabbi Yitzchak, the son of Rabbi Yudai. Rabbi Yudai explained to me what the reason is for 18. So what the answer is that the basically the amount of food that is considered for two meals is 18 figs worth of food. That's what's considered two meals. If I took from each person one fig's worth of food, okay, and it would, it would equal, if there are 18 people and I took from each person one fig's full of food, that would, in, that would equal the amount of food for two, for two seudot because it would be 18 figs. Yeah, 18 figs. So once I have those 18 figs, so once I have more than 18 people, so then I would have to take less than a fig from each person to get to that measure. So you have two choices. Either you get the amount of food, and this is what the Mishnah says. It says when there's a lot of people, right? In other words, when you go by a grogeret for each person. So when the grogeret for each person, there are less than 18 people. So that's the maximum. You go by the lenient. So if there's 10 people, you have 10 grogeret and that's enough. Once you get to 18, 18 would actually be the perfect number, meaning 18 grogeret you get from each person one fig, and it will equal the amount of food of two meals. We never ask for more than that. So, no, for one person. For one person. Yeah, to run one person. We're all united. Right, that's one. Right, that's one meal. That's one meal for two, two, two arochot, for two, two meals. So the point is, so each one is nine, I guess. So, the, but the point is that if you if you collected once you have more than eighteen people, you would collect less. So it's like whichever one is greater. Right, either, or which I want is less. I mean, either you take a grogeret from each person, or once you get to shtei once you get to the eighteen, you don't have to go further than that. You don't have to ask the hundred people each to give a figs worth. You just put the eighteen figs worth, and that's enough. And we learn from that. From this halacha, we learn that the amount of food that goes into two meals is considered eighteen figs. In other words, the fact that he said that once you reach eighteen people and you're taking a fig from each person, you're going to have two seudot. We can we see that that's what's considered the measurement of two seudot, and that becomes the new. Minimum. In other words, once you pass that, we don't say, well, you need to still get a fig and get a thousand figs. You know, you don't need that. And that's what, that's what the halakha is. Up to 18, you get a fig for each person. Once you get past 18, it's enough to have the food for, of two sudot. Obviously, if you want to always just have this food for two sudot, it's okay to have more. We're just talking about the minimum. So the Mishnah says, mm-hmm. You can make an eruv with any, any kind of food. Except for water and salt. And let's talk about water and salt separately because we had talked about if you mix it together, it'd be different. Right? That's Rabbi Eliezer. Rabbi Yoshua Omer, What happened? <laughs> then now that's already considered a food. It's, yeah, that's what we learned earlier. Yeah. So Rabbi Yoshua Omer, Kikar Ueruv. He says, a, uh, you need a loaf of, uh, of bread to make eruv. Okay. Even if it is a very large quantity, an entire sa'ah of flour, and you make a baked good out of that, but it's sliced. In other words, it's not a whole piece. But if it's as small as a coin, and it is a, uh, a, a and, and it's full, it's a whole piece, it's a whole uh, loaf, that's enough. In other words, according to Rabbi Eliezer, what it would sound like is that you can use any food for Eruv and any food for Shituf. Now, the Halakha is actually not that way. The Halakha is for Eruv, you have to use bread. Right? But the Gemara is going to clarify that. But 
The, but Rabbi Eliezer is, is saying that you can use any kind of food for both Eruv and for Shituf. Rabbi Yoshua is saying for the Eruv, you need a loaf of bread and you cannot give slices of bread or pieces of bread or parts. You can't take like a piece of a pastry and give it because they would go and collect, you know, loaves from each person. Each person has to give a full loaf or the Minhag became, see the Rambam describes it that you go to each house and each person gives you like a little lachmania from their house, a little roll from their bread that they, they would collect it together. According to the, the according to the Gaudim, that they say that actually the custom became that they would just collect flour from people and they would make one big loaf and that would be the loaf of the Erov Echatzerot. Um, either way, it has to be a loaf that is in a fully intact loaf. It can't be slices or pieces. Okay? They now, give money to share on one that would be buy, that's what I'm saying. They would buy the flour and they would make one loaf. It would be the same thing as giving the flour or giving money. What? That's what they use today. They usually they use matzah, but it's whole pieces of matzah. It's a box of matzah. Yeah. Yeah. That, well, we're going to see. We're going to see. In, in the Mishnah, it sounds like Rabbi Eliezer says for both Eruv and Shituf, you could use whatever you want. Right? Now we learned this already. We already learned earlier on Daf Kavav that you can use anything for Eruv and for Shituf except for water and salt. So why do we need it again? It's a, uh, the reason is to exclude. In other words, that Mishnah back on Kavav Amud that we learned is to exclude Rabbi Yoshua because here you see that Rabbi Yoshua says that you can only use bread but at the beginning of the second parak it said I'm sorry in the uh, in the beginning of the uh, uh, of the third parak right it says that was the that was the opinion that is the definitive opinion which is Rabbi Eliezer's opinion in other words the reason here we see there's a machlok between Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Yoshua that Rabbi Yoshua says you can only use bread back in the third parak it was excluding that uh, view and saying, no, we hold like Rabbi Eliezer, you can use everything, and that's why Kamashwalan Bakol, that's why we see that, um, really you can use anything. So, Etve Abaye, Abaye raised an objection. It says in a Braita that you can use anything for Eove Chatserot, and you can use anything for Shitufe Mavot. And they only said you had to make an Eruv with bread in a Chatser. So, wait a second, what do you mean? That's contradicting itself. Because first you said you can use whatever you want. And I said, and they only said you have to use bread in a courtyard. What do you mean? They, they, you just told me that you can use anything. So he says, Man shamat marpat in Rabbi katani bakol. In other words, the word bakol in the Brita clearly doesn't mean any kind of food. It means any kind of bread. Because if it meant any kind of food, it doesn't make sense to say you can use anything. And where do you have to use bread? Oh, only in the chatzir. So what do you mean anything? Meaning any variety of the things that are permitted. So when it comes to bread, any variety of bread is okay. When it comes to other foods for shitufei mavot, any variety is okay. Right? So you see that just because it says bakol me'arvin, doesn't necessarily mean bakol means that things beyond bread. Could be that bakol means uh, also, uh, you know, just it means that you have to use bread, just that it has, to, it could be any variety of bread that you wish. Right? That's what, so Rashi says on the side, that it means that you can you can use any kind of uh, any kind of bread uh, to make eruvei chatzerot and Rashi explains there vekatani bakol apat umatnitinami mimaide bechol detanya kol milekamar. How do you know that the Mishnah when it says you can use anything for eruv is actually saying you can use any food and it's excluding Rabbi Yoshua? Maybe the bakol means that you can use any kind of bread for Eruv Echatzerot, and you can use any kind of food for Shitufei Mavot, because you see in this Brayta that that's how it used. Bakol means two things. Bakol for Eruv Echatzerot means any kind of bread. 
Because it clarifies that we said you can only use bread for Erovei Chatzion. And Bakol at the same time for Shitufem Avod, for uniting the alleyways, means any kind of food. So you see, you can have both ways. Right? So therefore, you can't prove that we're excluding Rabbi Yoshua from that Mishnah. Could be that that Mishnah is, is going according to Rabbi Yoshua. Right? That, uh, what really that Mishnah Kavav is coming to exclude is a different point of Rabbi Yoshua. You're right that the Mishnah Kavav might mean that you need to use bread, but it's coming to exclude his idea that it has to be a full loaf of bread. Kamashmalan Bakol. Right? That's why it's coming to tell you, Bakol, that actually you can use, um, you can use even a part of a loaf, right? That's why it's saying, right? So, Rabbi Rashi says, If you're going to say that the Mishnah over there, prior Mishnah, third parak, is, is clarifying or uh, is disputing something about, uh, Rabbi Yoshua, it says, Right? So maybe the Mishnah is not disagreeing that you have to use bread, but is disagreeing with Rabbi Yoshua on his point that you have to use a whole loaf of bread. But really, maybe the Mishnah there agrees with Rabbi Yoshua that you have to use bread for Erovei Chatzot. What is the reason why Rabbi Yoshua doesn't like the idea of using a broken piece of bread anyway? What's the difference? Because people will be angry. In other words, they'll have a resentment. And the people are going to say, hey, I gave a whole one. You come, you give up a, a crumbs. Why did I make a beautiful thing? So people will have an argument. So everyone has to give the same. Okay, so let's just tell everybody to bring pieces. Why do, why do we have to go to be so crazy? Just let everyone bring just, uh, pieces from what they made and, and then it'll be equal. So you won't have any fights. Because even if you do that, in other words, even in a case, if everyone goes ahead and everyone brings pieces, so then why is my piece less than anybody else's? So it says, Here it's not really a kilkul. Not going back to a bad way, but let's say that might be true that People in one circumstance or at one time were all bring, all brought broken loaves, but the pro, and and therefore there's not going to be any fight among the people because everybody brought broken loaves. But the only that might be true, but the problem is that there could always be a situation that it goes back to where people are bringing a full loaf and one guy brings the you know brings something that's cheap. You know, he doesn't want to give his uh, full loaf, and it's going to create conflict. So even though in a circumstance where everybody brought broken loaves, you could say, well, in this situation, there won't be eva, there won't be resentment. Since in other situations there could be, we keep the same law. Like we have lo pluga banan. The rabbis don't like to distinguish between different uh, cases. They like to make it a standard. So since there are going to be cases where people brought full loaves and this one guy is the only guy who shows up with a half loaf so therefore we say half loaves are never good even if everybody else brought a half loaf what if the person baked this bread already and then realized he forgot to separate chala or he forgot to separate chuma from that flour so the rule is that if you bake something that you forgot to separate the chuma or the, or, or the uh, chala so you can actually um, Rashi says so, so the uh, he says it's not considered a, it's not considered a diminishing of the loaf. If I forgot to separate the challah, now I take a piece of it and I give it to the kohen. Now normally we separate it when it's dough, obviously. But if you already baked the bread, so then you have to separate it in order to um, satisfy the obligation of the challah. So it's not considered a kilkul. It's not considered ruining it. Or kedei dimuara. She says im nidmaat sheinaflat muabuchulin vaasam imena kikarzo. So the rule is that if something fell in. 
to uh, like flour that was truma fell into the flour that was regular flour and now I already baked out of it I have to separate out of and, and assuming it was batel in there assuming there was you know um, but, but I have to take some out to give to the Kohen even though it's uh, as long as it's in there if, it, if the proportion was less than 1 to 100 so anyway the whole thing would be uh, I would have to give it to a Kohen because it would not be batel uh, it needs one it needs 100 times to truma truma it wouldn't, it's less would be batel Right, if it's like, meaning if it doesn't have enough chulin flour to, to nullify the truma, then the whole thing comes truma, right? But, so we're saying that it, it wasn't that, it, it, it wasn't, uh, uh, that it, there was so much truma that it would make the whole thing prohibited, but you have to at least take the part out. You have to take the measurement out that should go to the Kohen, because there's also an obligation to give to the Kohen separate from that. Meaning there's an issue of kashrut, that if there is a lot of truma falls in to your, uh, your non-truma flour, that it's now prohibited to a non-Kohen to eat it if it's not batil in a hundred, a hundred to one. However, if there if there's a situation where um, where it is batel, you still have the obligation to give some to the kohen because you still have the monetary, so to speak, obligation to give to the kohen, right? Before it's baked, no? no, we're talking about after you forgot and then you baked it already, right? So now when you take it off, you're going to actually be diminishing the, uh, the the loaf. But it's saying since it's a tikkun because you're you can't eat it without that, so it's not considered kilkut. So it says, Vatani, didn't we learn in a bright that said the opposite, or it said, it said that true about removing truma, that that wouldn't ruin the loaf. But if you remove chala, it will ruin the loaf. So what's the, so it says, If you learn Mesechet Chala, you learn that the amount that you have to give a regular ordinary person has to give one twenty-fourth. Of, that's the measurement of chala you're supposed to give to the kohen. A nachtom, a person who's a baker, a professional, commercial baker, 148th. Okay? The reason why is because he's, he's baking in such bulk, it will cause him huge financial hardship if he has to take 124th of his bakery and give it to the, uh, and give it to the kohen all the time. That's too much to ask him to give. It's not realistic. It's like a, too high of a tax rate, basically, so for him. 4% against 2%. Right, pretty much. Yeah, it's like, it's a, so they had, so you see that they had tax cuts for the rich. You see that? They said, listen, the guy, is a, the guy is making commercial level. You have to tax him differently than he taxes the regular guy. That's, it's not. As, as it says in the Mishnah, Shur Chad right? The measure of Chala is 124. Even if you're making it for the wedding of your son, one out of 24. But if a guy is going, it's for commercial purposes. So even if a lady is doing it, meaning it doesn't have to have a bakery, but she's doing it to sell it. Okay, commercial. So then, then you have 148th. So you have 148th chala from the, from the dough. So you see, so what's the answer? The answer basically is that if the loaf that you're giving for the uh, you only diminished it 148th because it was a, it's a very little diminishing. So then, it, then it's still going to be considered shalem. It's not considered uh, lacking. But if you had to take 124th already, because it was something that was made by the Bal Habayit for personal use. So then that's already too much of a diminishing. And that's why one source said that, the, that removing challah ruins the uh, bread. And one says no, because if you're removing it only a little bit, because the, let's say the baker says, oh, I forgot to separate challah, I need to take a little bit off of there. So now you have a little bit taken off. That's not such a big deal. As opposed to if you have to take a larger chunk off. 
And then you give that as the Eruvei Chatzor, it's considered Chaser, it's not considered Shaleh. If you had broken pieces, but you stick something in there to hold it together, like, you know, the loaf fell apart, but you put a little kisa, it was like a, you take like a little piece of wood, you know, you stick, you, 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 you clip it, you clip it together, so it's okay. But didn't we learn in Abayta, in Marvin Lobad, that you can't do that. One is where you can see, you can see that it's really separate. And if you're really an expert and you can make it seem that it doesn't have any break, right? Using this, uh, using this clip, so then you're okay. You can use the bread of rice bread and millet bread. These are grains that normally you don't make bread out of. And you wouldn't say hamotzi on these breads, right? You wouldn't. But uh, gluten-free... Bread, basically. It's saying you can use it. Um, millet, is millet. It's another type of a grain. Uh, yeah, that's, that is not one of the five. Uh, yeah, it's not usually, it's not, uh, it's not so commonly. He said you can do it with uh, rice bread, but not with the millet bread. That's too low of a quality. That's too far from, uh, from our uh, level of, uh, of culinary uh, taste that uh, would be counted as bread. Uh, lentil bread is okay. Interesting. You had they had all these gluten free breads that they, you can only get them at like Trader Joe's and Whole Foods. You know that, but they had that right. is that But there was one person that in the years of uh, in the time of a uh, Morshmuel that they gave him the uh, they gave him this uh, this bread. This lentil bread, he threw it to the dogs. It was too disgusting, right? He said a dog will eat anything, I guess. He wouldn't eat it, right? And so you see that, uh, that, it's, that lentil bread is not bread because he threw it to the dogs. He wouldn't even, he, he wouldn't even eat it, right? So it's, it says that's different because that was that also had mixed into it other types of flour. She says, that the uh, pati. That's definitely not considered bread. And this is quoting a story from Yechezkel, uh, where Yechezkel was told to make this re- weird mix of breads with all these, this weird mix of bread with all these different grains in it, and actually um, to to symbolize you know the famine that's going to come in the times of the uh, uh, you know in in the times of the destruction of Yerushalayim. Uh, and he, uh, and you know, as part of his prophecy, so he, he had to make this bread. If, if you ever go to the store, it's called Ezekiel bread. They have like bread that has the different things. Have you ever seen this bread? It's called Ezekiel bread and has the pasuk on it. Oh, wow. They didn't, they, they didn't mention, you know, they have it in the store all the time. You can get it. The only problem is the Ezekiel bread, lechem sheli cheskil. So they call it, go to the store, you'll go, go to the bread aisle. Right, right. Go to the bread aisle. Read it. This is Ezekiel bread. It has the and it quotes the pasuk on the on the, in English. Obviously, uh, it's not made by Jews. I don't think. Um, and it, and it says the things that are in it. Of course, it's, uh, it's missing one of the ingredients, which was that you have to cook it al tzoat bnei adam. You have to cook it on uh, on excrement. You know, on dung. They don't. I don't hopefully they don't. They don't do that. Isn't that <laughs> yeah, but um, isn't that the shot of multigrain? It uses different. Types yeah, of but it's mixing in also things that are of inferior quality. Multigrain, multigrain is using is higher. right, but multigrain is. is is good, like, nu- nutritious grains. This is talking about, you know, mixing uh-huh. random things together. So he said, uh, This is the pasuk when he tells him the recipe, right? Upol, vadashim, beans, and dochan, and, and, and millet, vikusmim, and, and, and all of these different grains. This is the pasuk. And make a type of a bread, 
and he was supposed to lie on his side for like hundreds of days. There's a whole story there. And the Rambam says that these stories actually, this happened in a vision. He didn't really lie on his side for hundreds of for a year, you know. But it's supposed to symbolize different things. And, and you can read these uh, prophecies inside. But the point is that, uh, that, he, that this bread that they brought to, Sh- to uh, Shmuel was basically wanted to try, you know, what is this, uh, this bread that... Uh, Right and the, and and Rashi says that he he told Yechezkel don't that you're not going to eat the bread of people meaning this is not human food it's like basically it's like uh, it's the it's a, right it's the bread version of a hot dog basically which is basically not human food <laughs> like you take every waste that there is and you just throw it in and you just cook it and that becomes bread well, right? yeah yeah uh, uh, maybe this was delicious too but uh, and then and he says hahi so so you see from this that the bread of the shalminim. Is uh, not considered to be uh, is not considered to be food, but maybe a plain lechem adashim. You make bread out of lentils, good, right? So it says that one of Yechezkel that's called not food. That's because they cooked it on the dung of a person, excrement of a person. because it says there and that it's saying that you have to roast it over the dung of people, right? It, it was supposed to show like the famine and the distress that's going to come with the destruction. Yeah, if you read the Navi, he talks about. So, that, but the point is that 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 wouldn't account for. In other words, even the bread of Yecheskel uh, wouldn't be considered not human food, not for human consumption. It was the way it was prepared that made it not for human <clears throat> consumption. Rabbi saying, right? And he says, "My, what does it mean?" When it says that it's going that um, a cake of um, of of uh, of uh, uh, barley, right? Yeah. When it says that you're going to cook a, a cake of barley, um, what, what does that mean? When it says where is the pasuk here? He has it on the side. I wanted to see what it is there. Oh, v'ugat zorim tochalena. Right, so it says the it, it's the same pasuk, right? But that you're going to eat it as a a, a cake of, of barley, right? So uh, what does it mean? Amav So what is it? In other words, since you see that it has all these different ingredients mixed in, why is it called a cake of barley? So it says amav It doesn't say seurin, but read it as shiurin. In other words, you only have a little bit of it, even of this bad food, right? You only have a little bit, right? So he says it doesn't mean seurin because there's all kinds of different things in there. It's talking about the quantity. You're going to have very little. He says that the mixture is not going to mix well like chitim. It's going to mix poorly like barley. Barley bread is less quality than, uh, than, than wheat bread. So it's even though the cake is not really made of barley, it's made of all these different ingredients, the fact is that it will, it will only bake in the manner of barley, meaning it's not going to bake a good cake, it's going to bake an inferior type of a bread, and that's why it's called Ugat Sorim. But the point is that in the end, it's not clear. What's left unclear is why did Shmuel throw away the bread? Because uh, it's saying that, no, the, the bread of Shmuel was lentils. He threw it away. It says, no, that was the reason why he threw that away. It wasn't because it was lentils. It was because it was mixed with all these different minim. And that, therefore, it's not human food. It said, no, but the reason why the other one wasn't human food is because of how it was cooked, <laughs> not because of what was in it. So it must be that he actually did throw away the bread of the uh, of lentils. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't necessarily a mixed, uh, mixed grain bread. So in the end, it sounds like he didn't think that lechem uh, adashim was good. That's, it's, that's what it seems like the conclusion was. But in any case, if a person wants, he can go to the baker, give him some money. The guy who uh, lives in his neighborhood is also a, a, a not a baker, a, uh, like a, right, I mean a baker or a, a storekeeper, right, and he gives him money. 
And uh, he says that either the guy that sells wine can make an arrangement for him uh, for the wine of the Shitufei Mavo'ot, or the guy sells bread for the Erovei Chatserot, he gives him money. Right? Rashi says, the Nachtom is Mocher Kikarot, Vidar Imo Bechatser. In other words, they live together. And Rashi says, She is the Kelo Be'eruv im Chavirav, im Yavob Nea Mavoyla Kachat Mcha Kikar Le'eruv, or Yan Le'Shituf, Yel Le'Chel Kibo. In other words, he'll go to the, to the, to the store and he'll say, Here's my money. If, when, when the rest of the people of the Mavoy come to get the, to get the, uh, you know, the wine from you or to get the bread from you for the Eruv, uh, include me in it. I'm giving you the money now. It says he can do that. Okay, Rabbi Eliezer, it says Rabbi Eliezer, it won't work to use your money in that way. She says, because normally, you're right, you need to take something in your hands physically to acquire it, not just give money. So the fact that you're giving money won't work. Okay, and there, and and so they, so it actually works back. It backfires on the guy. In other words, even if this baker or this this wine seller has in mind for everyone else, and he says, I am being mizakeh, I'm transferring ownership of this to everybody in the Mavoy or everybody in the Chatzir because I want them to participate. It won't work for the guy who gave money. Why? Because the guy who gave money explicitly is saying, I want my money to pay for it. I don't want the free gift. So he's excluded from the free gift, but also his kinyan was not a full kinyan because he didn't actually pick up the item. So he, he actually shot himself in the foot, basically. Because the, the, even if the, oh. even if the, uh, even if the shopkeeper or the, or the baker has in mind for everyone else, he's not going to have in mind for this guy because this guy paid. So this guy isn't getting a free gift. So he's thinking, oh, I'm giving it to him for his money. But technically it's not given to him for his money because that's not the way that the, the, the money, the kinyan of money isn't, a, doesn't work. Okay. So now, umodim bishar kol hadam and they agree with everybody else, that money will work. Now Rashi says, Bagmara, the Gemara is going to explain that In other words, if you give money to your friend to be your shaliach, and you say, you, you ask him to be your messenger, and to arrange the Eruv for you, it can work. Rashi says, over there that's different. If you pay the guy to be your shaliach, arrange for me an Eruv, you're not acquiring the food of the Eruv with the money. You're just, get, you're paying the guy to take care of it for you. So when he goes and says, I'm acquiring this on my behalf and on your behalf, and I'm, I'm being mizakeh, I'm giving you a portion in it, it's not because of the money. The money was my service, not for the bread. So therefore it will work in that case. But when you pay the actual seller of the item, so then it actually will, will, will backfire against you, according to Chachamim. Shemevarvin ladam elamidato. You can only make an eruv for somebody midato from his own uh, with his own consent, his own intent, right? Rashi says ilkach kabechenvani ki amale zecheli. When when he said to the store owner, make it, make the eruv for me, he had in mind to acquire it from him, not to make him the shaliach to make an eruv, and that's why it doesn't work because he had in mind to buy the bread. And that it should be the Eruv. He didn't have in mind to make the guy a shaliach. And that's why even now, if the, if the owner of the, if the, if the baker or the wine seller is mizaketem, it won't work because the guy didn't have in mind for that. He had in mind to acquire the bread, not for the guy to be his shaliach. <laughs> and you can't make, you can't make an Eruv for somebody without their consent. That's according to the Chachamim. 
But we're going to see Rabbi Yehuda disagrees. And we rely on this Rabbi Yehuda for everything. Amar Rabbi Yehuda, all of that is only true with Eruvet Chumin. That you need someone's consent. Because you can make a zechut for somebody without their permission, without their awareness. But you cannot make a chiyuv for them. You cannot make a liability for them without their permission. So if you're going to make Eruvet Chumin for someone, it has to be done with their permission because, and their consent and their awareness because you're, you're limiting their travel. You're saying that their Tuchum extends only in one direction and you're excluding another direction. But Eruvet if I want to get up, if this baker or this wine seller decides, no, I want to give this as a free gift to that, it doesn't matter that the guy was paying for that, wanted to acquire the bread and, uh, and, and, and he intended that this should be a transaction and the transaction isn't valid, it doesn't matter. I'm giving it to him anyway. No I don't downside. have to be his official shaliach. There's no downside to be. No, what's the, uh, you, have uh, you have nothing to lose. <laughs> right? So that's why. <clears throat> that, well, it's going to talk about that. It's going to talk about that. The Gemara is going to deal with that problem. If, you, if, if it is a liability, or at least you're making a decision for the other person, so that's a different story. Right, so Gemara says, "My time, Rabbi Eliezer." What's the reason of Rabbi Eliezer that he says that if you give the money, it works? Right, that was the first opinion that if you do give the money, it does work. Why? Ha lo mashach. He didn't pick up the item, so why should it? Why should it effectuate a kinyan? In other words, according to Rabbi Eliezer and the Chachamim, in this situation that you go to the store and you give the guy money, the question is, did you acquire that bread or wine that now the chenvani or the <laughs> nachtom, the baker or the or the storekeeper, is going to make the eruv for you? And why should, and Rabbi Eliezer says it's good, but why? You didn't pick up the item. Rabbi Eliezer compared this to the four times of year. What is the four times of year? We're going to learn about this in upcoming, uh, actually, no, we learned about it actually in Masechet Chuli and it came up, right? It's not, it says in the Mishnah. These four times of year. And, we're, and Rashi explains, Erev Yom Tov Shel Pesach, Erev Yom Tov of Shavuot, Erev Rosh Hashanah, and Erev Yom Tov of Shmini Atzeret, and in some places also Erev Yom Kippur. These are places that everybody is slaughtering animals, like everybody is, is, is having meat for those Chagim. And so, Mashchitin et HaTabach Ba'al Kocho, Afilu Shor Shaveh Elev Dinar, <laughs> Meaning that in, in, all, in all other cases, a guy could show up and be like, listen, I just want one cut of beef. And the butcher could say, I'm not going to slaughter an entire cow to give you uh, one hamburger, one steak. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. However, on these four times, we force the guy, we force the tabach to give you whatever, to slaughter the cow just to give you the one piece of meat because it's a time of Chag where people are in need of, um, uh, of, the, of the meat for the holiday. And so it says, <laughs> Meaning illegally, he, he doesn't have the right to say no. If, normally he could say, listen, sign up on the waiting list and as soon as I have 100 people that want meat from this cow, I'm gonna, whatever, 10 people that want meat from this cow, I'm going to slaughter it, come back on Monday. Right? But in this case, because it's urgent, you need the meat for the Chag. So the, so the halacha was, he has to honor it. We're going to see what, what happens though, okay? So he says, even if, well, no, he does have, he should have, but even if the, if the cow is worth a thousand dinar and the, and the guy only wants one dinar, they make him slaughter the animal and he has to find uh, customers. Right? So meaning, it, therefore, if the animal dies before he has a chance, in other words, the guy, the customer comes and he pays and then somehow the cow drops dead before the, uh, before the shochet has a chance to get to it. So he could say, sorry, man, you, you don't get a refund because since I was going to give you this entire, I was just going to slaughter this entire cow, right, for you, 
And it became yours when I accepted the money, even though I accepted it as a, at a steep discount. I accepted it at one, you know, one percent of the money. I was going to slaughter this whole cow just for you. That's they said it becomes that now the lokeach he can't ask for a refund on the money. It becomes his. So what do you see? You see that imet met la lokeach. Right, met la How could it be that the customer is responsible? Halo mashach. He never pulled the cow, meaning he just gave money. And we usually say that money doesn't effectuate a kinyan by itself. Yeah. We must be talking about where he did pull the cow. How could that be? Because we see later on in that same uh, in that same teaching, it says that if the person that same mishnah it says. That every other time of the year, if I come and I sign up on the sheet and I give five dollars for my small piece of meat, when when whenever the whenever the the shochet is going to slaughter the cow, he's going to put aside the five dollars for me. But he's waiting for the uh, for the list to fill up of waiting list before he slaughters the cow. So then, if the cow dies, it's not mine; it's his. I, I can get my money back, or he can bring me. He has to bring me another cow. I don't, you know, because it's because it wasn't mine; it was still his because he was reserving the right to wait for more customers. Now, if we're talking about, we have to assume that the beginning of the Mishnah and the end are the same situation. We're talking about where the person did he make a kinyan by giving the money or not? You're saying it's talking about where he pulled the cow, so he made a full kinyan. So that must be what it's talking about at the end of the Mishnah as well. And yet it says that if he died, uh, he he does get his refund back. So Amai Hamashach, according to you, we're talking about where he pulled the cow, so it shouldn't make a difference. In both cases, he made a kinyan on his portion, and therefore he's a partner in that cow. And if the cow dies, he shouldn't get his money back. So Amar Shmuel Bar Yitzchak Leolam B'Shelom Mashach, we're really talking about where he didn't pull the cow. Hachabemayeski. Now this is going to get to our point. It's talking about where the shochet transferred ownership of this cow to the customer through somebody else. In, in the, on the Erev Chag, where it's really a zechut, it's considered to be a benefit. Okay? Rashi says that it's um, since it's considered to be an inherent benefit and advantage to be the owner of a cow on that day because everybody wants meat. So therefore that the, the shochet can say, I'm making this yours. He's mizakeh, the cow. He transfers ownership of the cow to the lokech. Now it happens to be that it turned out and, and it could turn out to be a liability if the cow dies. But a person, right, but a per, we're assuming not because most are not. But it, but it's, it's soon to be a zechut on that day because everybody wants meat to own the cow. So the person will be happy to own the cow. But on other times, without so in these four times of the year, and other times where it's a liability to own the cow, you just want your piece of meat, you don't want to own the cow. So that's considered a, a liability and, and, you, and, and the shochet doesn't have the right to transfer ownership to you until such time as he's actually giving you what you ordered. Right? You don't want to own the cow until the time comes that you're going to receive the meat. Right? You don't want to own the cow in advance. You're, you want to own the cow so that you can force the guy to give you uh, the meat that you, that you ordered. So the point is that here too, he's saying the same idea. That, um, that Rabbi Eliezer says that since it is a zechut for this person to own a part of the eruv, he has nothing to lose from it. So giving the money, even though he didn't pick up the, the, the loaf, even though he didn't pick up the wine, he's, the, it's, the, 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 the baker or the wine seller is mizakeh it. He, he can transfer it to the, to the customer um, without letting him know. In other words, just based on the giving of the money and he wouldn't have to pull it or touch it or anything like that in order to have this kinyan because basically the seller is, is transferring ownership to him and he has nothing to lose by it. 
Okay, he has no liability there. So that's why here and only here the money effectuates a kinyan because there's another piece that the seller is mizakeh the item to the uh, uh, to, to the customer. That's what just like we see by the meat that the seller is mizakeh the item to the customer, and that's why it can be his even if all he did was give money. <laughs> so to here it can be the same. But there's another possibility. This is Rabbi Yochanan's opinion throughout the Talmud. That no, ma'ot konot dvar Torah. That really, what did the Chachamim do here? The rabbis just reverted the law to the laws of the Torah. The Amar Rabbi Yochanan dvar Torah ma'ot konot. Because really, according right. to Rabbi Yochanan, according to the Torah, money does effectuate a kinyan. Why did they say no, that you have to wait for the person to touch the item? Because, because what could happen is that if we allow money alone to effectuate a kinyan, what will happen? I'll pay money for something. It'll be up in the guy's attic until I come to pick it up. And meanwhile, the guy's a fire in his house. He saves everything from his house except my stuff that, it, that I paid for because it wasn't my problem. I, I left it for last. That was yours. Sorry, you know, you paid for it. It was yours and it wasn't my responsibility. So the, the problem is we want to make sure that the person demonstrates that it's, they're taking it into their domain in order for the, the kinyan to take effect. So norm, that's midira banan, Rabbi Yochanan is saying. In other words, there's a basic machloket in shas, ma'ot konot or not. Does money, by, right, meaning does money, no, that would be a partial payment. So it, it depends. What you, what you do there is you, what you can do, really partial payment, you can deposit the money if you were able to pick up the item already. So that means that you deposited money and that you're taking the rest of it as a loan from the person. But it's considered like you paid it and now you owe him money as a loan. Right, if, right so that's all. But the, it's like credit. But, if the, but the person who... Um, but the, the point is that the, there's a makhluket. Does giving of money automatically effectuate a kinyan or I have to do an action of sh- demonstrating that I now own the item? So according to most of the rabbis... Ma'ot are not, don't effectuate a kinyan by themselves. They don't effectuate acquisition by themselves. You need some physical action. According to Rabbi Yochanan, actually, biblically speaking, the money does effectuate a kinyan. The problem is that the rabbis didn't want a person to have that be exposed to the liability or to the problem that they would pay for something that belongs to them. But they, it would be like, let's say you pay, buy something. I'm giving an analogy from modern times. You buy something on Amazon. Okay. Now, if you paid for it already, basically the card, your card got charged or whatever you paid for it. Let's say you used cash. Let's say you, maybe you used a, a debit card, whatever. You, you paid for it already, right? Now, right. Now the item is en route to you, gets destroyed. The deli- right, it doesn't, you call up Amazon and say, send me another one. Right? They take, they take the responsibility. It's kind of like that. In other words, I paid for it, but I don't have it. So now what, the, the, the UPS, the, right, the UPS truck gets, uh, catches on fire. I'm never going to see my stuff again. Right. It's still, so even in American law, I'm saying, even the, uh, you know, the, even here, we say that it's until it reaches me, Right, if I take it and then I break it, so then I can't call and complain. But if the if uh, on its way here until it reaches me and I do kinyan, basically physically, it's not fully mine. And so that's really what Rabbi Yochanan is saying. He's saying biblically speaking, the giving of the money itself is the kinyan. But but the rabbis protected the consumer, consumer protection, right? That they, that we don't want the consumer to own something, and then the Amazon warehouse breaks, uh, burns down, and the, and 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 Jeff Bezos says, "Sorry, buddy, you know all that stuff belonged to you." 
and now uh, and you know and and too bad they're not giving you a refund. So that's why they uh, that's why they uh, they made that takana. So therefore, Rabbi Yochanan is saying that in this case, because of the mitzvah eruve chatzerot, they said let the money alone effectuate the kinyan for the sake of the mitzvah and the zechut of eruve chatzerot, even though normally. We would say not, just like he explains by the shochet, that the shochet on those four times a year, right, the four times a year that everybody needs meat, said that the very fact that I gave money will effectuate the kenyan, and now I own part of that cow, and the guy is obligated to give me that cow, but it also creates a liability for me, but I want it. So the rabbis allowed the money to effectuate the kenyan according to the biblical principle. So the machloket here is, is what they did in the case of the shochet, or in the case of the erovei chatzerot, that really the money doesn't work, but they had, they created a mechanism that the seller is mizakeh, to the customer, transfers ownership of the customer and to the customer in these cases. Or no, all they did was say, we're not going to apply our rabbinic law that you need to pick up the item. We're going to allow the biblical law to be in effect that says that you own it even without that. Okay, so that's, uh, that, that's the, uh, that's the, we'll continue from here tomorrow.